welcome into episode two of Believe in Hills Hoops here on the Believe Podcast Networks, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson from Tobacco Road Sports Radio, joined by my co-host RL Bynum from the Tar Hill Tribune. You can uh, catch us on youtube.com forward slash at tobacco road sports radio uh for the video portion of this each week the audio portion of this believe podcast networks you can find us there if i'm not mistaken they're still building our page so it should be up probably by this time tomorrow but you can check this out there tonight special guest uh one of my favorite players in uh, carolina history or one of my favorite teams actually and that'll probably be a topic for another day um tyler zeller in the house what's going on Tyler? how you doing not much how you doing we're good, man. Happy to have you. It's a, a victory Thursday. The the uh, Carolina Tar Heels defeat uh, seventh ranked and previously undefeated Oklahoma in the Jumpman Classic down in Charlotte last night, 81 to 69, I believe was the final. Um, I saw people saying, well, why are they playing here? Why are they playing there? It's kind of a de facto home game uh, for Carolina when we play Charlotte. Greensboro, uh, <laughs> in these places, and I just have to mention Duke has lost in both of those places before. I don't know, if we really have. But <laughs> I love the little tidbit there, yeah. That's what we're about over here. Uh, believe in Hills Hoops, we can kind of get cut loose a little bit. Uh, I was going back and forth with a Duke fan on Facebook last night, watched the He was like, Ah, oh, we're playing the Madison Square Garden tonight. Y'all playing in Charlotte? I was like, We just played Madison Square Garden. Like, last <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I was like, Duke has lost the national championship in Charlotte. They've lost a first-round game in Greensboro. Can you imagine if Carolina lost a national championship game in Charlotte? <laughs> like the, the, we take some heat for that one for sure. Just implode like yeah. every, everything we thought was going to happen if Carolina and Duke ever met in the Final Four. That's what would happen if Carolina lost <laughs> in the Final sure. Four, Natty, in sure. in the state of North Carolina. I can't even wrap my mind around it. Um, <laughs> both of these guys, RL and Tyler, were in Charlotte last night uh, at the Spectrum Center. They'll give their thoughts on the game, roster players. Um, we're, we're at a point now, gentlemen, where we need to start talking about RJ Davis and all American status. Cause this dude has gone off. I just saw a stat where, uh, he's the first player, I think since Tyler Hansborough in 0809 to lead the Tar Heels in scoring in seven straight games, which is insane. When you think about the people that have come through since 2009 to now that no one had done that till RJ and he's just looking really good. I want to, I want to give him some props and talk about him. Um, of course, a look at the career and life of uh, Carolina center, Eric Montross, who passed away uh, at the age of 52 uh, this past weekend, gone too soon, 52 years young. We'll talk about that. Both these gentlemen had had interactions with him. Of course, uh, Tyler being part of the Carolina family, RL reporting on the team. And uh, we'll just go through memories and things that we thought of Eric and everything I've seen has been so nice uh, in terms of people's interactions with Montross and how he treated people. So we'll go to that too. And that'll lead us to something that, uh ty and uh eric have in common which is their numbers up in the rafters in the dean dome i get asked so often how how do you get up there like what do you have to do to be up there and there's different distinctions between what's up there and what's retired or whatever so we'll explain all that for you too so we got a loaded show tonight let's uh let's just get into the thoughts from last night's game now tyler i know you were on the um tar hills radio network calling this game with jones angel uh how was that uh because i know jones uh, very close with Eric. You know, Eric nor was normally the color commentator there, and they sat together for I can't remember how many years they did it. Eight years, nine years, eighteen years, eighteen, like eighteen years. So, how was that? And uh, I listened to the first half of it on the radio coming back from uh, the Frank Spencer Classic last night in the car, and uh, you sounded good. And how did uh, how did it feel calling that game, uh, knowing that Jones and Hubert and uh, the coaching staff were all kind of having to go through this with what uh, occurred with uh, their friend Eric Montross uh, on Sunday. It was a challenge. Um, 
I was, it just happened to be that I was scheduled. So Marcus Ginyard, uh, Pete Chilcutt and I have been filling in for Eric Montross, um, obviously with the hope that he would be back next year uh, or even later this year. Um, so I was scheduled to, to be at that game anyway. Um, it was a challenge, you know, being friends with Montross and having known him and um, the great man that he was, it was definitely a challenge. And uh, Jones is phenomenal. He's always, you know, first class with the way he carries the show, uh, the way he talks through it all. So part of the reason I agreed to do it was uh, because of how good Jones is. But yeah, last night was very challenging, just getting through the segments with uh, talking about Eric and how uh, the person that he is and what he brought to life and uh, just every interaction he had. So um, it was definitely a challenge. Um, but, you know, thankfully the game went well. Um, it was fun talking through the game and uh, just enjoying the game as much as we could uh, through the scenario that we were going through. Today I got a chance to listen to the first segment of the broadcast, and that was an emotional segment for Jones Angel and for Adam Lucas, and they both got emotional about it. I mean, I I spoke to Jones about 20 minutes before they went to air and just talked about it with him, and I I knew it was going to be a tough broadcast for him, and it certainly was, I'm sure. Well, it sounded really good, um, and it helped that Carolina – pretty much controlled the game from start to finish. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it, they're starting to come back around to what we expect from Carolina basketball. Uh, it's been, this is what, 2023? Like we've kind of, as a as a fan base, we've kind of gone through it. Uh, like the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, like the past five years or so, um, right before COVID. Well, really, I've been on record saying that to me, 2019 was the peak of college basketball up to this point. Because everything since then, COVID and then everything else, NIL, the transfer portal, everything else, it's kind of changed what college basketball is. And it's hard to keep up with teams. And I've always loved college basketball for me, especially being a Carolina fan since birth, was that I could watch a kid grow. Like I watched Tyler grow from breaking his wrist freshman year to being, you know, what he became senior year. And that team, that's why I was like, I was so happy when we we got you on. Because I'm like, that team is one of my favorite Carolina teams, the 2012 team. That's one of my favorite teams of all time. And I, I keep a, a list of who are the top Carolina teams in my lifetime that should have won a national championship. And I have you guys at number uh, three behind Michael Jordan's 84 team. And cause to me, that's like the number one team that should. Yeah, that's hard to beat that team. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> them and then uh, I think no, actually I might have. Oh, no, uh, 2016. 2016 team yeah. that, that lost to Novo in the buzzer beater uh, and then Natty. And then I have you guys right there at number three. And it's weird that the number one and number three were all affected by uh, an injury to the point guard, uh, wrist injury, uh, broken wrist right there towards well, the we, end of the year. And it kind of affected everything. So we really felt like we had a chance, obviously a chance to win it. Um, Kentucky was the team that we felt like we matched up really well with, but that would have been the game that I think it would have been a great game. Yeah. Um, Kansas obviously was, we ended up losing to him. It was a tough game, uh, but I felt like we could get over the hump if we'd had Kendall, you know, kind of making everything go. And uh, I'm not saying we would have blown out any of those teams, but we felt really good about beating everybody. And then Kentucky, I felt like was 50 50. It would have been a dog fight. And, oh, we wanted uh, Kentucky. I remember the fan base. I remember we wanted well, that. That was the year we lost to them, too, at their yeah. place. Yeah, we, yeah. We wanted them again. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we were really we, we were up one with like 30 seconds. We turned it over. Yeah. But I mean, that the beauty of being a fan of North Carolina basketball is that more often than not, you're going to win more than you lose. And you're going to, you're going to enjoy the good times more than the bad. And I will say, Hubert, 
watching that game last night and the roster and the waves working the roster, a couple of things crossed my mind uh, before I turn it over to you guys from what you saw on courtside. I, I had a lot of friends that aren't Carolina fans, but were just watching from afar. And they were like, well, can Hubert coach? Like he's only playing six players and all this other stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, those aren't his players. <laughs> like he, he didn't really, you know what I mean? Like he, he only trusts like six of them. It's pretty obvious at this point. He's only playing six. So, and then when you go to the next year, after they make the run, same thing. He's really only playing six or seven guys. And I started looking at him like, well, most of these guys are left over from the previous regime. Like Hubert really hasn't had a chance to build a roster of his own yet. This is the first roster Hubert's built that's a Hubert Davis Carolina roster. And he, it's almost like he took a, 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 like a Dean Smith roster blueprint and had it labeled out in terms of this is what you need to build a Carolina team. You need a, a, a quick point guard that can get off his own shot and can distribute the ball. He's got two of those. You need a shooting guard that can get a shot off anywhere at this point. That's RJ at this point. You need kind of like a, a J.R. Reed type of power forward that can back a guy down, can get his own shot. That looks like it's Harrison Ingram at this point. Um, or, or a, a, well, really a four at that point. The three needs to be another wing that's kind of long, stringy, can play defense, can shoot threes, can dunk. Usually it's the athletic guy that's going to start in five. Uh, and then you got a center. you got somebody that's back to the basket, can rebound, double-digit rebounds, get you double-doubles. Uh, you can play through them. It's Armando. And like, and then he filled in the bench. So like, you've got dudes in certain spots that know their roles. In the past two years, it felt like people didn't know exactly their role, and they were constantly switching them around. Um, let's start. Let's start with you, RL. Watching this game last night, Carolina wins. Um, I wanted to stress that their defense they held the Sooners to 69 points, which was a season low, and 40.4 percent shooting from the floor as a team, um, and they led pretty much start to finish. What were your thoughts sitting there in Charlotte watching the game and watching the Tar Heels play maybe their most complete game? I don't I don't even know. Like at least this year. It's been a while though since we've seen them play like this. What were your thoughts while you're watching them play? Or am I just being super fan here? <laughs> well, I mean, that, that was uh I haven't seen energy like that uh all season really. And really you got to go to defense. Uh they were getting in the passing lanes, getting deflections. And being more aggressive, uh, Kentucky was the aggressor on Saturday, but uh, last night it was Carolina. I mean, they did a good job of shutting down Oklahoma's motion offense, which can be pretty potent. They they kept uh, the Sooners from getting in the middle of the court and just dis- were disruptive. And uh, I would point off the bench, Seth Trimble and Zayden High were really good defensively, and uh, it. Just the the whole team played well defensively, and I, I don't think Oklahoma had seen anything like that this season. Seth Tribble's been lifting weights, um, <laughs> like obviously, like dude. It feels like every time he's driving, he's trying to dunk on somebody. Like I've seen kids like that. I've played with kids like that, where it's like, okay, they just something happened in the off season where he just decided to take his aggressiveness to a different level. Next time, next time they play, watch him. If he gets a chance coming to the lane. He's going to try to like embarrass somebody. And I'm like, how tall is self Seth Trimble? Like 6'1? Six, 6'2? Six, like what how tall is he? Yeah, but he can fly. I don't he know how fly. tall he is, but he can fly. <laughs> it's like he's he had one last night where I was like, ooh, he was about to like, like cup yep. it on this dude. And uh the dude kind of got his body in there before he could get it out. Um, what were your thoughts calling the game, uh, Tyler? Because deep down you had to kind of feel like I know from watching the team from afar the past couple of years. A lot of us Carolina fans were like, even the run the past two years, and when they went to the Natty and then came back in their preseason number one, 
uh, most Carolina fans I came across were like, yeah, but <laughs> this is still the same team we watched for like four months last year. It's literally the same team. So uh, what did you feel now watching this roster and what they've done so far? Because I think they've had the toughest non-conference schedule in America up to this point. Yeah, they're definitely up there. They're definitely probably top five for non-conference schedules. Um, but they looked great last night. Um, like uh, RL said, it just the ability on defense to take them out of their pick and roll, um, to keep them out of the lane. They, they're Oklahoma is so good at getting into the lane. And really, they struggled uh, inside. We forced them to shoot shots. Um, they had a couple guys who, uh, Ole being one of them, that would hit, a, hit a bunch of threes. But um, really, other than that, we, we handled them very well. Um, I think the next step for them is, you know, about seven, eight minutes, we kept hanging in that like eight to 10 range or eight to 12. Um, and we just got to put a team away rather than they got it down to camera was five or six with about three minutes left. And we were able to put them away then, but um, really kind of just putting the game away, putting it out of reach, um, putting it up about 15 to 18 um, going down the stretch. And, um, but really, I mean, other than that, I have no criticism. I think they did a phenomenal job keeping them out of the paint. Um, we can do a little better job rebounding, but part of that was our pick and roll coverages. We were trying to recover back to those bigs, which is very difficult uh, to get those rebounds, especially when, you know, Armando's only six, nine and, you know, he's not a high flyer. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's a little different than uh, some bigs recovering back. So, um, but no, it was a great game. Um, fun to watch. Uh, hopefully we can continue that over into ACC play now. Are you guys worried about no, I would like to ask you, I've heard, I've heard a couple of former players in podcasts kind of, be critical of the, the the switching because it's not the fighting through screens like you used to do under Roy Williams. What, what's your view of all the switching on uh, defense? I think we're um, – I like it. Um, I think Armando needs to be kept out of it most of the time. Um, like there's been a few games against some of those smaller non-conference teams that switching was the right call because they didn't have a big, big. You know, their big's a six six guy who wants to shoot threes anyway. So the switching makes sense then. But like last night, they got a big who just wants to get to the rim. So I don't like switching in that situation. But switching the one through four uh, any other time, I like it. Um, Cadeau comes into question a little bit. RJ a little bit, too, if you have a bigger four who's going to post up. But usually they can get the guy passed off or double the post and get the ball out. Um, so I think they're they're. we saw that a little better last night. I think they're continuing to get better and better at that pass off and being able to cover the, the paint even better as time's gone on. Are you guys worried about Armando and his production? Because I see all the talking heads are worried about it, but I don't really feel like worried about, you know, how many touches he gets. And it seems like they're like, like honed in on, he needs to get the ball. He needs to get the ball. And I'm like, they're playing really well. I'm like, I don't know if he needs to get the ball. I get that they came back, but I, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on this? Because, I keep hearing it over and over again that they need to basically force it into uh, Armando, but they seem to be playing well without having to do that. That's what they were doing last year. Yeah, if this if this was last season, I would say this is terrible. But this season, there there are more offensive weapons out there, so I don't you know I don't think it necessarily runs through Mondo this season as much as it did last season, and they don't need it to. You know, Hubert Davis said before the season he wants uh, Baycott to dominate, and he's done that some. But uh, I, I just don't think this team necessarily needs that on a game by game basis. Yeah, they're they're really well built. Like the roster, when you look at it, 
I love the depth. Uh, some of my favorite Carolina teams from the past were ones where Dean or Roy could go 10, 11 deep. Like, and by the time you got to conference play, he had whittled it down to a hard eight, hard nine. And, but you kind of knew something happened. To one of those guys, you knew you had another two guys over here that could play uh, if need be. Um, and it feels like he's built that because you've got dudes like, like Jalen Winters and um, uh, Pax and Wojcik that are coming off the bench now, but they know, they have certain specific defined roles when they're coming into the game. They know what they're doing. Everything seems to fit. And that's weird for me as a fan to watch it because I'm used to it not fitting in the past couple of years. So when I watch it, it's like it's almost like putting on an old pair of slippers. Like, this is okay. This is what I remember from when I was six, when I was 14, when I was 20, when I was 30. Like, this is this kind of feels like Carolina basketball. Um, and uh, kudos to Hubert, because Hubert kind of went, this is not the most forgiving fan base <laughs> in America. And for him to go through being, you know, a half away from winning a national championship as a rookie head coach coming in behind a legend like uh, Roy Williams to go through what they had to go through last year and miss the tournament entirely to hit the portal and to rebuild this team into what he felt like would be the best option. It's just amazing to me what they've done. Um, they weren't even picking Carolina to win the ACC, but from what I've seen so far, I think they have a great shot to win the ACC. I'm not really – I know Duke won last night too. They beat Baylor, good win at uh, Duke North, which is basically Madison Square Garden. Um, I'm going to pick on Duke a lot in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to go with it. <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. I, I, they, they, they seem deep too, but it feels like we're all in this new era where the one-and-done Duke-type teams that they were having, they're not going to necessarily have those anymore. Shire's going to bring in some some dudes, some five-star kids, and he's already been doing that. But he's going to filter it with grad students and experience, and it's going to be an older team than what Kay had the last probably decade that he was coaching. So uh, Carolina, Duke, Virginia's always got that defense and sniffing around. I see Clemson, Miami. Those seem to be the heavyweights uh, this year, but I think Carolina's going to have a whole lot more to say than what people thought at the beginning of the year. Um, R.J. Davis. R.J. Davis in this game, uh, 23 points, five of nine from three, led Carolina in scoring for the seventh consecutive game. I was saying earlier before we got on, I saw that uh, R.J., or maybe it was right at the beginning when we got on, R.J.'s the first player since Tyler Hansborough in 2008-2009 season to lead Carolina in scoring for seven consecutive games. So that's been uh, five years, five seasons now where – it's the first time it's happened. Carolina moves to eight and three overall. Uh, the Sooners dropped to ten and one. Um, thoughts on RJ? He's also the first one for before this game to have twenty six or more points in five straight games since Charlie Scott. I, I heard that on the call last night too. Yeah. I was like, man, so Charlie Scott. That, so no one's done that in what forty years? <laughs> yeah, I don't know the exact year, but it's the seventies. So yeah, that's fifty years. Yes, that's crazy. If you think all You're the right. scores have come through Carolina. Um, yeah. Thoughts on RJ from what you remember freshman year, RJ Davis coming in to where he's at right now. Uh, I remember Dean used to always say the biggest leap for uh, college basketball players, typically the summer between freshman and sophomore year. But it feels like RJ had his leap between sophomore and junior year. And now he's carried that on into this year where it feels like this is not Armando's team. This is RJ's team and Armando's on it. Like, am I wrong in that assessment or how, how does that feel for you guys? I'd agree with that. I think, um, you know, Caleb Love was phenomenal for us, um, especially back in the championship run. Um, last year, you know, the team just was different dynamics. 
Um, but I feel like RJ is benefiting from Caleb had the ball a lot. So now without Caleb, there's a lot more time for him to have it. But RJ plays so well off the ball and Cadeau wants to pass so much. So it just fits really, really well. Um, sometimes RJ doesn't have to create as much for himself. He can cut, just catch and shoot. Yeah. Uh, something he hasn't had in the past as much. So, um, and then with Armando, you know, yeah, I think he needs to get the touches, but um, he needs to stop turning the ball over on the double teams. But more than that, I think if he can just be content, he did it one time, the late Ingram three, he just took one dribble, saw the double team and threw it straight out. He really wasn't trying to score. He wasn't trying to do anything. Um, he just did a great job uh, seeing that double team coming and throwing it out. I think RJ, all those guys are benefiting from him getting the ball, so much attention being on him. Um, and then RJ now is making, I mean, the one three he made, it was a desperation three at the end of the clock, but it was a step back. The guy's in his face and, and nailed it. I mean, that's, that's RJ. And then, you know, they were making the run late. RJ hits that three. So, you know, he really is carrying our team. He's hitting those threes in big moments um, and just he's doing a, a phenomenal job for us. Yeah, like you said, when uh, when the lead was down to five, uh, RJ made the big three and, and that really helped fend them off. But he's just doing so many. I mean, there was one play in midway through the second half. I think RJ was on the opposite baseline and he sprinted down the court and swiped the ball away from Rivaldo's soars. Yeah. If I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and that was just amazing the hustle down the court. And, and it's just so impressive. And he's, he's elevated his game from last season. He's a three level scorer. And then uh, he doesn't have to distribute, but last night, five assists, no turnovers. I mean, that that's impressive. And uh it, and, and that's on top of Oklahoma double teaming him for uh -huh. the last 16 minutes. I'm Every say, yeah. they chased a double team and made him throw it out. I'm trying to think of guards that are playing better than him in the country right now. Um, like, who would I pick right now? Like, if I was at the park and I'm picking all these dudes are standing out there, like, is there another <laughs> is there another guard I'd pick before RJ Davis? And he's in contention for sure. He's got um, to be right. I mean, he's got to be contention for playing him. really, really well. But yeah, he's right with them. He might be. He might very well be in contention for ACC Player of the Year going right now, as it stands. I was thinking All American, first team, second team, whatever, but somewhere in there because we've all been looking at it as Armando being the one. But and Armando very well might still just you know end up second team, third team, whatever. But RJ is like the engine right now, um, and he's just so confident with what he's doing. Uh, Dan O, who's watching, says RJ is an All American. Uh, Tyler, you're one of my favorite Tar Heel legends. Merry Christmas, folks. I forgot to mention at the beginning of this, each one of these, we do them live so you guys can interact with us. Uh, if you want to ask any of us a question, if you want to give a comment, if you want to leave an opinion on what you're seeing with Tar Heel basketball, men or women's basketball, um, you can just do it on the Facebook watch page uh, at Spack Road Sports Radio's uh, Facebook channel. Just type it into the comment section there, or you can type it in on the YouTube uh, feed, whether you see it on Tar Heel Tribune or you see it on uh, Tobacco Road's channel. If it's live, you can type it in. It'll pop up in the bottom like Dan's there, and we'll try to answer him as we get to him. Um, and, and regarding RJ, by the way, he didn't even make first team preseason All-ACC. How silly does that look at this point? Who are the guards that made that? Like, so we can kind of point out. I don't remember. <laughs> the only ones I remember are Armando and Filipowski. Yeah. Yeah. See, and, and I ain't a problem with Flip. Like, I, I saw I saw a little bit of Duke Virginia's ACC championship game. I was on press row last year because it was in Greensboro Coliseum. So I went to the championship night and watched the first half of it. Then I realized I was like, this is Duke and Virginia. I'm just going to leave. Like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be here for this anymore. Too much. They're good. Yeah, it hurt too much. Like, <laughs> but I saw Kyle up close. He, he's pretty good. Uh, I, I got to admit, Filipowski's pretty good. 
Um, and we'll he's a guy who if he could get rolling, Duke could get, you know, obviously they, they've struggled a little bit this year. Baylor's mm-hmm. their first win. Yeah. If he gets rolling, they'll start making threes, um, playing in all three different levels. He's he struggled a little bit, but he's still averaging, I think, 19 points or um, sorry, 17, nine. I think I guess I looked it up earlier, but um, I think it's chemistry with them. If they can figure out their chemistry and learn how to close games like they did last night against Baylor when they went on that run. They start doing that, and then yeah, Duke's going to be Duke. They're going to be dangerous. But hard though when you got ten people who want to play and just think they deserve to play. Yes, um, kind yes. of what we had last year a little bit. You know, yeah, <laughs> and you're just trying to find. Whereas this year, I feel like we got a little more uh, role acceptance. You know, obviously people want to play more. Everybody wants to play the whole game, but we got a little more. Everybody kind of knows their role, knows when they're going to get in, and all that. So I kind of feel like too. It's almost like. It's not almost even important who starts for Carolina. It's almost more important who finishes the game. Like, because a lot of times you'll see Seth Trimble's out there at the end of the game, uh, or he'll have a three guard lineup out there with Cadeau, Davis, and Trimble at the end of the game with Baycott running around and uh, probably Ingram like out there. Like, you know, that's usually who he ends the game with, um, which is fine. Like I said, I I don't know what Seth Trimble did over the offseason, but he clearly was lifting weights. So he's way more <laughs> athletic than he was. Yeah. I know that. JP Dakota was his cousin. He's got in his blood, all that stuff. But he's starting to look like him a little bit. And then Cado, uh, I did not expect him to start this early. Um, I was perfectly fine if he didn't. But once he put him into the starting lineup, I think that's when they really took off. Like they really started to figure out how to do this and and, and go uh, and run this Carolina fast break and all this other stuff that they've got going on. But we'll keep a RJ Davis watch uh, going for All American status and see if he can keep this up here. At the end of the game, uh, Hubert was swapping in offense for defense, Trimble and, and Cadeau. Uh, so, seemed like several times in the last two minutes. As, uh, so to talk about who's in at the end of the game, well, he was swapping them off a lot. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Yeah. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like, thank you, Hubert. That's, thank you. <laughs> so, I think RJ going into ACC play will be interesting because those first couple ACC games, obviously we got FSU, which is a kind of odd one to play early. Um, but as those first, we got road, 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 I think, to start. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be a challenging start. But if RJ can continue to roll into the beginning of the ACC, I think he's got a chance. That's, you know, that's yeah, all, th- all three of those for, uh, ACC games are quad one road games, Pittsburgh, yep. Clemson State. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that'll be a, a really good test. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to watch them, especially after uh, we come back from Christmas break. Um, but let's get into um, our memories, our thoughts on um, – the Carolina family lost a member this past weekend. Eric Montross uh, passed away, 52 years young, uh, passed away from cancer. Um, just, a, just a, for me personally, just a perfect example of, uh, of Carolina basketball. Like when you think of Carolina basketball, you probably think of a couple of names right off the top of your head. And for me, Montross is probably one of those five or six because of the era that he was the, the center in they won a natty in that era um and just that time period the, the early 90s when he was playing i tell people all the time one of my favorite teams of all time even though i'm a carolina fan was the michigan fab five and what they kind of represented to me being a black male and the culture in the early 90s and what they kind of changed the game they were unlv 2.0 and that and unlv is one of my favorite teams of all time and i had to go to school uh and i had a lot of friends that were duke fans and they were they were ribbing me uh, in the '93 final about who are you going to root for because you got Michigan who you, we know you love, but this is Carolina like this is Dean he's trying to get another ring and 
I was like, man, I don't know. Like, I really did. I was really so I was a sophomore in high school. I was so conflicted. And when the game started, I wasn't rooting for either one. But as the game went on, I felt myself going to, to the Carolina side. I'm like, OK, this is this is home. Michigan is fun, but that's this is short. This is fleeting. Like this is going to disappear in a year or two. This is where I'm going to be when I'm 40, when I'm 50, when I'm 60. It's a Carolina fan. And I want Dean to get this one. Uh, I I wish it hadn't happened the way it did in the end because of my Michigan fandom of that Fat Five team. But either way, yeah, <laughs> either way, either way. And and Chris Weber still probably suffers from that to this day. Like people still think of that timeout and that with it. But with Montrose, man, the first memory I think of is the bloody Montrose game. Like literally my mind immediately flips to 92 Carolina Duke. Uh, this is, this is like peak Carolina Duke, you, Leitner, Hurley, Grant Hill, Thomas Hill. I hated all of you. <laughs> Couldn't stand, especially Bobby Hurley. Couldn't stand any of you. Like my, my friends were girls had trapper keepers with Christian Leitner on them and stuff. Like it just, <laughs> so like I hated that team and uh Montrose got hit a couple times in that game busted the back of his head I think he had a cut over his eye or under his eye or something and there's the iconic shot of him at the free throw line getting ready to shoot and he's got like some blood dripping down from his his face or whatever I want to say Carolina won that game if I'm not mistaken uh too it was at the Dino if I'm not mistaken so those thoughts for me I think more about what he meant to the Carolina program in terms of helping Dean get that second ring, uh, being such a key part of that. And what ifs? Because the next year, after they won the Natty, 94, they bring in Jerry Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace, and it's like, and Jeff McInnes, and you're just like, ah, oh, what should have been with bringing them in with what, I mean, pretty much the whole team was still there from, from 93, and they just couldn't figure it out. But that's my thoughts from him. Just a great example of Carolina basketball, great ambassador of the game, uh, not just Carolina basketball, but basketball in general. Everything I've ever heard about the man, whenever he would meet somebody stranger, friend or whoever, so cordial and friendly and polite and knowledgeable about the game and fandom and things of that sort. So just a, just a terrible loss for uh, the Montrose family and the Carolina family in general. But uh, I want to give you guys some room to to talk about your interactions with, uh, with Eric. Uh, RL, let's start off with you, uh, your thoughts on, Eric Montrose, the player and the person uh, for Carolina. I mean, he's he's one of the top centers in the Dean Smith era, right up there with James Worthy, Mitch Kupchak, Billy Cunningham, Bob McAdoo, maybe Rusty Clark. Uh, his power moves inside were, were a big part of the 93 National Championship uh, run and taking down the Fab Five. And uh, he he was just a quintessential Dean Smith center, uh, and but I think it, it it would we would be remiss if we just focused on basketball, right? Because Andrew Carter and the News Observer wrote a poignant, poignantly about how uh, Eric developed a relationship with a Durham kid named Jason Clark who was going through I think it was stomach cancer, and uh, and they forged a relationship. And, uh, you know, and that that was just uh, shows what a nice guy he was to everybody. I didn't have many interactions with him, but he was always nice to me. And uh, I sat next to him in the uh, Eastern Regional in, in East Regional Final um, a couple of years ago because the previous radio team had vacated their position. And I, and I bet Tyler can relate to this as well. 
I noticed that his legs were so long that he couldn't put them under the table. <laughs> Which, me being five six, seemed yeah, kind of bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, to sum up, I'd say a, a great basketball player, but really a better person. And and it's really sad that he lost his life at only fifty two. Tyler, your thoughts on the passing of Eric Montross uh the age of 52. Yeah, I mean, Eric, um, Eric was a special person to me. Um, we got to know each other in college when I was in college. Um, when I graduated college, he um, we went to lunch and um, he kind of talked to me through what was coming in the NBA and, you know, don't let the NBA wear you out and all that stuff. And, um, but Eric, um, I moved back here about five years ago and Eric became a, a dear friend of mine and we had a lot of things in, uh, in common. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, he's a mentor, but more than that, he was just a, a really good friend who, you know, anytime I needed something, wanted to talk about something, um, I'd call him and, you know, it never failed. He, he was positive. He was um, a guy who, he wanted to make everybody's day better. He, he looked and did everything he could every day to make somebody's life better. Um, you know, the, his philoprint, philo, I can't say the word, but you know, all the, the stuff he did with the children's hospital at UNC, uh, the father's day camp he did. Um, he, he absolutely loved kids. Uh, and there, there's so much stuff he did through the community, um, through um, Rams club that he just, I don't know if we'll ever know the complete extent of everything that he did in our community um, and just who he was. And um, to me personally, I mean, he was a guy who, you know, we, just such a terrible loss. I mean, I, I talked to him a little over a month ago and again, just positive and felt really good about where he was. And, you know, just, he always had a positive outlook, no matter how bad everything was going on. And it was never about him. You almost had to pull anything out of him. Um, I'm not sure I ever had a conversation with him about basketball. Uh, mm. Basketball was that's real you know, something he did, but it was not who he was. Who he was was, um, you know, somebody who went around the community and tried to help people and um, cared for people. And yeah, he, he would talk about you know the, the 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 bloody face game and stuff like that. And he he'd have fun with fans, but. Um, to those of us that knew him, he was, uh, you know, more of a father and a friend and uh, just somebody who uh, we all looked up to. Uh, we all, we all, you know, hope we become like him as we get older. I mean, he's somebody who, you know, is, is so positive and encouraging. And I've heard so many stories of, you know, just whether it's a media room or somewhere, he, if you weren't there, he would notice. And even if you weren't, you know, I, I talked to a, a guy who was a student in college and now he writes um, for a, he's a journalist in Raleigh, but he's like, yeah, I wasn't there for a couple games. And, you know, Eric, I know, I didn't think he knew who I was. And all of a sudden he's like, Hey, where you been? And, and, you know, and that's who he was. I mean, he's just a, a positive person who just, he just wanted to make our community better. And he spent every day doing that. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a extremely tough loss more for our community than our program. Um, and, and it's a big loss for our program. So, I, think I, I, a lot. I like what you said there um, about him that 
basketball was something that he did, but it's not what he was. Um, he was so much more than just uh, the game of basketball. I think it was the perfect way to describe uh, Eric Montross and what he meant to not just Carolina basketball or the school, or but the community and as a whole, like whoever he came across, whoever he touched, whoever heard his broadcasts, like uh, whoever watched him play, uh, got a chance to just to feel that joy and hear that from him and his voice and his actions and everything. And uh, he's a perfect case of lead by example, you know, like just lead your life by example. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in karma, you know, do right. It'll come back around to you. And it felt like he lived his life that way. So, um, and, he, and he never talked about anything he did, you know, right. He'd yeah. Hear about um, something and he, he'd, he'd acknowledge that he was a part of it. But he wouldn't. He's never one to say, you know, oh yeah, I did this or I did that or I knew that. Like I never heard him boast about one thing in his life. It was always how are you doing, how are, and like it was more about you than it ever was about him. Well, we'll boast about him because before we we get out of here, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about how you get uh, your number up in the rafters of the Dean Dome. I've had so many uh, people come up to me that aren't Carolina fans. Like, so what exactly is the criteria to get up there? Cause y'all got a lot of stuff up there. I'm like, well, we got a lot of players. <laughs> There's been a lot of players that have come through here. That's why they're all up there. We don't just throw anybody up there. You got to do something. Uh, mm -hmm. Montross actually is up there. Uh, there's two designations. Uh, Tyler's up there as well. Uh, Eric got put up there. He made second team all America. Uh, I want to say 93. I think it, was it might have been the championship year, 93 um, or 94 senior year, but he, he made that. And that's how he got up there. Um, same with Ty here. He got up there. Second team, all America ACC player of the year. Um, and uh, there's, okay. So here's the criteria. If your player, if, if you're getting honored, you have to win one of or more of the following five awards. You have to be either a first or a second team, all America, on one of the major All-American teams that qualify a player for a consensus All-American designation, uh, you have to either be an ACC Player of the Year uh, or the most valuable player of a national championship winning team or an NCAA Basketball Tournament Most Outstanding Player of a Final Four team or a gold medalist in basketball at the Olympics, which is something all three of us didn't know until <laughs> I started pulling this up here. Um, <laughs> some, just some interesting stuff. Here. Now, the difference between that and – uh, the ones that are honored, those numbers aren't retired. There's only eight numbers that are actually retired where nobody else can play with those numbers. Um, and to do that, you have to win one of uh, six National Player of the Year awards. So basically, if you win National Player of the Year, your number's retired. If you are ACC first or second team or or no, first team all ACC, what did I just say? <laughs> first or second team all America, all America. Uh, ACC Player of the Year. Uh, so just making all ACC – does it put you on? Although I thought I saw. No, no that's right. Yeah. So you, just making all ACC doesn't put you up there. Otherwise, we'd probably have probably more, a ton of 400 uh, <laughs> jerseys up in the rafters if they did it that way. But uh, some of the some of the things I was noticing here. So, OK, the last one that got put up there was Joel Berry, uh, NCAA tournament most outstanding player uh, for the run in 2017. Justin Jackson's up there. He went up right before him because he first team All-America that year. Uh, ACC Player of the Year, and he was the MVP of the, uh, the NCAA championship game. Uh, I didn't realize Bryce Johnson's up there. Um, Marcus Page uh, from your team. Harrison Barnes is up there. Tyler Zeller's up there. Uh, Harrison was an All-American. Yeah, Harrison was all, second team All-American and an Olympic gold. When did Harrison Barnes play for the Olympics? He says Olympic gold. Was, 
It was early. Yeah, he did win. He did win a gold gold medal, but I think the second team All America already had it in. It did. Yeah, it looks like the because I see Olympic gold medal on some of these, but I'm like, okay, he played for the Olympics in the NBA when he was like in year eight or something. So they must be going back and <laughs> adding must have been like one or two people that they were trying to add on that weren't up there that should have been yeah. up there. Vince Carter, same way they got him listed second team All America, Olympic gold medal. Um, they were really Michael Jordan's list. Only got a, a gold medal and nothing else. I don't see anybody like that. Like, and that's the thing I was looking for. Is there anybody? Well, no. Charlie Scott, Olympic gold medal, first team All America. Uh, no, there is Larry Brown. Walter Davis would be the only one. Larry he, Brown. He, Larry Brown, Olympic Walter, gold medal. Walter Davis was on the 1976 U.S. team that won the gold medal. And uh, Dean Smith was the head coach, and Bill Guthrie was the assistant coach, so he's the only one. I see. No, wait. There, Walter Davis, you're right. 73, 77, Olympic gold medal. Uh, Larry Brown is on here. He was before him, 60 to 63. He's on there because of the Olympic gold medal hmm. only. There's nothing else. Okay, it's him too. Then, yeah. yeah. I don't see anybody else with that, so with just the Olympic gold medal part. But um, the, the eight that are retired, Jack Cobb, uh, this is 1923 to 1926 national player of the year. This is back when they didn't wear numbers. It says his number was NC. <laughs> so like, they just had the NC on the Jersey and that was it. George Glomack. I've never even heard 1938 to 41. He was national player of the year. The blind uh, bomber is who he was called. <laughs> Apparently his vision wasn't very good, but his shooting was. Wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Um, <laughs> he's not, he's up there. Uh, Lenny Rosenbluth uh, up there, 54, 57, National Player of the Year, First Team All-America, AC Player of the Year. Like, the dude was the dude before we had dudes. It was it was Lenny. Um, then you got to get all the way to the late 70s. Phil Ford, his, he's up there, National Player of the Year, First Team All-America, AC Player of the Year, Olympic Gold Medal. He checks off all those boxes. just didn't get a, uh, a natty. James Worthy's up there, retired number, number 52. Of course, number 23, Michael Jordan's up there. Uh, Antoine Jameson's number, number 33, that's retired, National Player of the Year. Uh, and Tyler Hansborough, his number 50 is retired. He's the last National Player of the Year that Carolina has had. Um, the last first-team All-America that Carolina's had is Justin Jackson. And the last number that went up there, like I said, was Joel Berry. Uh, Tyler uh, Tyler went up there, uh, second-team All-America, and they see Player of the Year. Was that, that was your senior year, right? Yeah, 2012. Yeah, so um, – so yes, and, so and 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 Justin Jackson and Tyler are two of four honored number forty fours, along with Dennis Weisick and uh, Larry Miller. You're right. Yeah, there's multiple ones that are honored that were the same number. Um, but yeah, those those that's why you'll never see a number twenty, a number ten, number twelve, fifty two, twenty three, thirty three, or fifty on a uh, a court. Is there anyone on this roster as we get out of here for tonight that can crack this list? So we gotta. Which got list? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody's into the front row. That's a, um, hmm. there, there's some really good college players right now. You know, RJ obviously, as well as he's playing, I don't know that he's in the player of the year conversation. Yeah, I don't um, think he's there yet. Yeah, but you can. I mean, we haven't played many ACC games, but possible ACC player of the year or sneaking in that second team all uh, all American. Um, I think with the run he's on is, you know. You can say that. Um, can he continue it as teams start to focus on him more than Armando will be the, the big question. Um, but, yeah, I think he's in that conversation. And obviously Armando's done well enough in the past that ACC player of the year is not out for him either. You know, he played well against Florida State. Um, I think, you know, if he starts turning it on again the way he has the past couple of years, 
you know, you can always have that conversation too. So he's got, um, I mean, I feel bad for him. He's so yeah. close. He's, he's ACC player of the year, second place. Um, if we win the national championship, he's going up. Um, he's just, he's just this close. You just can't get, get his name up there. It's going to be yeah, weird. If it hadn't been for that injury, I yeah. think Carolina beats Kansas. Yeah. He's the MOP and it's all said and done. He probably wouldn't even be here. He probably would have left. You know, if all that happened, his storybook was done and gone. It's going to be weird if the all-time leading rebounder in North Carolina basketball history is not up in the rafters. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just – it won't feel right. And I see people all the time like, well, he should have all these rebounds. He's been there for a billion years, blah, blah, blah. People forget Armando missed a lot of time <laughs> with injury and uh, freshman year. He was up and down. It wasn't like he came out averaging 15 rebounds a game from day one and just played for five years, and that's why he's got the record. That's one not- of the conversations. I know Marcus Page on staff now. Um, Armando yeah. just passed him. Uh, it's been about a month ago now in points. And he's like, yeah, you had took five years to get it. You know? <laughs> and then Armando always hits back with, he goes, it's games, not uh, years. <laughs> yeah, it's games, not years. They're basically the same on games. So, um, yeah. you know, there, there's all kinds of, you know, <laughs> ribbon and stuff like that in the locker room. But uh, oh makes, my God. It, it will be interesting, though, a lot of these stats with the fifth year, um, how do colleges, you know, NCAA, how do they? I mean, after these guys break all these stats in their fifth year, do you amend it to mm. the best four years or mm. a certain last four years? Like, it's it's it'll That's be interesting. Sure. Or do they just let it ride and never have a chance of breaking it? Like games played. I mean, you got a whole extra year. You're never gonna be able to touch that record. It's almost like in reverse, like um, like in the NFL, the records at the beginning were 14 game seasons or whatever. So like you know, Jim Brown had the rushing record forever. And then they go to 16 games. You get an extra two games to do this. And, you know, finally somebody breaks that. And now they're playing 17 games. So it's like I see Tyree Kill being mentioned, getting over 2,000 yards and all this stuff. I'm like, well, he's going to get an extra game to get there. And he's already on pace to get there. That's continuing. This is ending. Yeah. Now, I will say with Baycott, the thing with him, though, he did break the rebounding record last year. Like, oh, he, yeah, no question. Yeah, it's not like he stayed ever. five years to get it. Like, he broke it in four years. So that – now no matter how they do it, we'll always have that one. Yeah. Now, now, even, this even year's still, so far away from everybody, nobody's going to catch them. So, uh. even still, you got to consider that Billy Cunningham only could play three varsity seasons, and his average mm. per season and average per game, uh, Mondo's not going to touch that. So, yeah. you, you have to take that into account, too. Not only five seasons, but compared to up until the mid 70s, you could only play three because you had a redshirt freshman year, right? Right. Well, you play the freshman play freshman. Team. Yeah, freshman didn't play. Uh, see, that's why RL is here because I wasn't even thinking about that. And that's <laughs> that's that's that you got to keep that in mind too. A lot of these dudes only got to play three years, really. Uh, some of them, like Jordan, played three years and was like top five in scoring or whatever it was. Like, you only played three years, <laughs> so like it is what it is. But that was always the conversation when Hansborough started breaking those records, and then you know, he blew mm-hmm. it out of the water at the end, but yeah. But so I mean, you know, three years though, because he's breaking those guys' records. <laughs> well, again, with Baycott, he broke the record in four. So anything he does after this is just gravy at this point. And you got so many kids from this extra COVID year that are getting this fifth year, where a lot of these schools are going to probably have records that are broken because of it. So I don't know. That's a good question, Tyler. I'm not sure how they're going to do that. They'll probably just be like, somebody will. <laughs> they gotta wait it for it to all play out first. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we're we're gonna go ahead and get out of here. Um, 
I'm trying to see the uh, Carolina's next game is Friday, December the 29th against uh, Charleston Southern. Col- so, College of Charleston. It's College of Charleston, and their uh, net ranking is 346. Is so, it College of Charleston? I thought, oh, Charleston they, got a, they got us Charleston Southern on the uh, on GoHills.com. Yeah, it's Charleston Southern. It's Charleston, so, Charleston. So they're at home in the Smith Center. Um, to be honest, we may not be back on until they play. Um, and this will get Christmas and everything else going on. So we may be out next week and then back at the beginning of the following week uh, after they've played um, after they played uh, Charleston Southern. So we'll have that to discuss. And we'll have some more stuff, too. And uh, look for us. Uh, I'll have some social media channels built up uh, by the time we do come back around. So you can find us specifically on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or wherever you may uh, find us again. Uh, this is believe in hills hoops i did not read this i'm gonna read it now believe me mad at me i was supposed to do it in the first two minutes and i wait it to the very end but <laughs> a quick read from our sponsors at bet online all the major sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off bet online your number one destination for all your sports wagering info including news for pro football the nba upcoming fights and nhl games this season head to the website today to get in the action and see all the updated odds for the week remember to use the promo code believe b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts. And that's where we'll end uh, this episode of Believe in Hills Hoops. If you like what you saw, like what you heard, let us know in the comment section on YouTube or at Facebook Watch. We'll be back probably off next week for the holiday. We'll be back after the Charleston Southern game uh, with some more Hills Hoop talk. So uh, for R.L. Bynum, for Tyler Zeller, I'm Desmond Johnson. You've been watching and listening to the Believe in Hills Hoops podcast here on Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by Bet Online.